0: Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Charleston is SCCE and ATCA board member, New York Adorno-Davies. New York is also Associate Vice President of Compliance at Molina Healthcare of South Carolina and Molina Healthcare Puerto Rico. And from the Washington, D.C. area is Scott Intner. Scott is Chief Compliance Officer for GW Medical Faculty Associates. And the two of them will be speaking at the 2023 ATCA Compliance Institute. First, Nierka and Scott, thank you for taking the time to join us today and to speak at the conference. Thank you for having us, Adam. Thank you, Adam,
1: for the
0: invitation. My pleasure. Absolutely. So we're going to be talking today about what you'll be talking about at the conference, which is the relationship between compliance and the general counsel. Uh, Nierka, as you know, a few years ago, we did a survey on the relationship between compliance and the GC. It found that while compliance officers saw the GC's office as its strongest ally, it most definitely did not want to report to the GC. What do you see as the greatest friction points between the two? Is it the tension between the GC's job of defending the company and the compliance officer's job of ensuring the company does the right thing, or is it something else?
1: Well, Adam. Um, to start, um, I want to make sure that um, these are my views and not of my employer. Um, second, to answer your question, I think one of the greatest fiction, uh, friction points is that there's a misconception of no of, of fear or concern of not having direct access to the board of directors or access to senior leadership, or the need to ask for permission to get that access if you you report to general counsel. Another thing would be that the information of the reporting may be filtered to the board. That is another concern um, that we may uh, face if we report to general counsel. Um, In regards to the tension between general counsels, job defending, well, both areas have the same objective. We have the same objective of protecting the company. However, the strategy to be implemented to protect the company may create friction between compliance and legal counsel if one of them did not participate in the preparation of that strategy, if they are not aligned and they don't have a really good um, relationship. Um, And it could be also that their roles are not clearly defined. They don't know um, what compliance is going to do, what their role is versus the legal counsel.
0: So Scott, what strategies have you found that created a strong working relationship and overcame some of these issues that Nurka just laid out?
2: I think, as with all other relationships, um, to be successful, there has to be mutual respect and trust. Uh, if they're not aligned, and sometimes, you know, to New Yorker's point, you have that when you have a, a, a reporting relationship rather than a collegial relationship. Uh, one priority or one viewpoint uh, gets dominance. If there is a uh, understanding, if there's trust, if there's respect for abilities, uh, it makes everything smoother. Um, The best relationships I've had with general counsel is when we both had the other one's job. Uh, I am a recovering attorney, so I'm able to speak their language. And and when I've worked with counsel that's served in the compliance role before, they're able to understand where I'm coming from. And that really makes everything smoother.
1: And to add to Scott's answer is that you should always Think that legal should have a seat in the table as soon as you have an issue that arises. You want to make sure to include them, make them part of it since the beginning, you know, um, so they know what's going on. Um, other things do not overstep your roles. If you try to do more than you should, as, uh, as Scott um, indicated, we are <laughs> recovering attorneys. and And if my job is not to give legal advice. So you have to keep that in mind. And in regards to reporting structure, you know, um, one size does not fit all and there is not correct compliance structure. What matter is that the structure that is implemented is effective and you feel that, uh, that you have measures to prevent detect and correct instances of non-compliance and fraud waste and abuse. So you have to make sure that you have that access to the board, you have that relationship with legal.
0: Well, and I think all of this, as you talk about, like not overstepping, not trying to do each other's jobs, bringing people in early, all ends up feeding in that whole trust factor that's so important. Now, compliance teams do, though, need to be sensitive about privilege. scott what should they be watching out for to ensure that they don't violate it
2: well in line with what new york was just saying you know it's it's coordinating early whenever you think there may be something that may arise arise from privilege privilege protects to a limited extent information gathered from being obtained from anyone outside the organization so anytime you have a situation where you can envision with a set of facts you don't know yet because you haven't finished you haven't even really started your investigation the minute you have the risk that it may lead to bad stuff however you want to define bad stuff whether it's auditors whether it's friends at the department of justice whomever that's when you want to bring counsel in and put the investigation under attorney client privilege not so much because you're ultimately going to protect it from the government, because if the government wants it, you're almost certainly going to give it to you, to them, but to make sure everyone in the organization understands the severity of it, the uh, importance of it, and the need to keep it confidential.
1: Yeah, that the key is that you are seeking legal advice from your legal counsel to keep that privilege intact. And and I know there's, as we said, a lot of compliance officers that have jury doctors degrees uh, attached to their name, but that doesn't mean that we can establish or assert, assert that privilege. We need the organization's legal counsel for this.
0: Well, and certainly, it's not something you you want to go about doing the wrong way. Now, Niyorka, during a crisis, relationships can either get stronger or rupture. How do we ensure that the relationship between compliance and the GC's office stays strong when things are bad?
1: I think that we should start cultivating that relationship early on, as we have mentioned. Uh, bring them to the table. Treat them as an ally seek gu- guidance from them and make them part of your team you know it's it's not about uh being enemies we are as we mentioned before we have the same goal and the goal is to protect the company o-
2: along those lines um and I, I would differ slightly I, I agree it's not about allies or enemies but it's about uh, working together and sharing information, and it goes in both directions. Um, if you establish that relationship, if you understand each other's roles, uh, you can build the trust that will lead to success where everyone respects. Now, New York and I have, have the the advantage in dealing with counsel of being, of, of being JDs, of, of having previously practiced, uh, but even, our colleagues that, that don't, they have some form of experience and it needs to be respected. It's a clinical background, if it's a billing background, whatever it is, we all bring something to the table and it needs to be sure that just as we're relying on counsel for interpretation of law, for attorney-client privilege, for overseeing investigations, they're respecting us in terms of valuing the expertise that we're bringing in terms of structure, In terms of communication, in terms of training, all the things that a well run compliance
0: program does. There's a lot that a well run compliance certainly does do. Now, Scott, what about outside counsel? Uh, When should compliance teams think about working with them?
2: Well, a lot of it will depend on the situation at your organization. I've been at organizations that didn't have inside counsel, so the decision to bring an outside counsel was when I thought we should. in other situations, you'll have inside counsel and you need to judge. By and large, the bottom line rule is you wanna bring outside counsel in when it's either a niche area that no one in the organization on the legal side, if there is a legal side, has experience in, or where you think it's gonna end up in litigation um, or negotiations. Um, that's where you wanna to touch base, even if it's only to, make sure you're moving in the right direction. As Murka said earlier, uh, even those of us with JDs are not serving as counsel, and we have to remember and respect that. Um, we have to protect the organization by bringing in counsel when necessary.
1: We also, I would say that when the seniority of the individuals who will likely be subject of the investigation, um, I I think it's important to bring outside counsel. Uh, I think there could be a perceived independence and credibility of the investigation um, that they may provide. Um, And also when there's potential financial exposure to the company, it's another area that I would uh, consider bringing outside counsel. And and, uh, outside counsel may provide a greater degree of privilege protection.
0: And certainly you don't want to jeopardize that at all. Well, it's obviously just a very rich, complex topic that we've only been able to touch the surface of. And I look forward to your session at the Compliance Institute when you'll be able to get into it much deeper. Thank you for sharing these insights with us today. Uh, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Taub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.